part of Double P Media. DoublePmedia.com. Hey, spoiler alert. We're talking about Penny Dreadful City of Angels in the context of the most recent episode. If you haven't watched that episode yet, you might be spoiled. So watch, and then come back. Delightfully Dreadful. And welcome to Delightfully Dreadful, dedicated to all things Penny Dreadful, especially the new show, Penny Dreadful City of Angels. My name is Matt Murdick, or you can call me Double M, and this week we are looking at Season 1, Episode 3, Wicked Old World, written by the creator John Logan, directed by Sergio Mamika Gezin. Joining me today is a person who likes to go out breaking windows, then dancing, then punching cops. It's Catfish. How are you doing, Catfish? I'm doing great, Double M. I am ready to dig into Episode 3, Wicked Old World. And you know what that stands for? Wow. wow. And you know, I have to say, I had some wow moments for this episode, but not in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to agree with you. Uh, the first thing I do want to ask, though, you and the listeners, I'm going to put it on the poll on at Dreadful Pod. Uh-huh. Is eschewing a comical sounding word? Uh, that's a great question. You know, most of the funny words have like hard sounds in them, like a lot of K's. You know, when people are writing comedy, they try to hit those words that have hard letters in them because it's just funnier. It's funnier when people say it. It strikes your brain in a funny way. But even though this doesn't have it, I think it's a funny word. I I do, too, because I laughed just about every time Alex said it. And I have to say that that might have been, for me, the most entertaining part of the episode. Uh, But let's get right into that. Well, hold on a second, Matt. Let me ask you one thing, though, before we go through. Because um, do you have a favorite strange word, like a non-common word that you just love? Right now, it's a shoeing. (laughs) Excellent. Mine for a long time was ekdesiast. E-C-Y- D-I-A-S-T, E-C-D-Y-I-A-S-T, Egdesiast. And you know what it means, Matt? What's that? Stripper. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there it is, Egdesiast. You see, that's got a hard one, Egdesiast. Anyway, uh, all right, so Matt, what is your rating for episode three, Wicked Old World? Oh, boy, I'll tell you, Catfish, and I'm going to be super generous with this rating. I'm sure that you're probably not, but <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to give this at best a seven out of ten. Uh, what I call double M's. Oh, uh, Matt Murdock's? No, uh, a different double M's mischievous mischief. <laughs> mischief- <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> God, are we both sick or what? All right, try it again. Double M's. <laughs> Mis- <laughs> I can't. Maybe, maybe I don't. Uh, mischievous Mollies. There you go. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Catfish, what the heck is going on? The only thing that was really kind of supernatural in the series so far has been more Santa Morte than anything, and we don't get any of that. 
Uh, as I tried to make fun of you at the beginning of the podcast, Double D. Double D. Dominatrix Dormer. She, I mean, she's just like breaking windows now. She's dancing. Is, is this a definition of supernatural? And Rio is is punching Riley in the face. Uh, what's with the accent? I don't understand if uh, Molly is going to sing every episode. I didn't sign up for that either. Raul is now good with his brother shooting him. I mean, the only thing that I really liked about this episode was the stuff about Molly possibly being linked to this killing, but not really Molly herself. How about you? Well, uh, you are correct. Uh, Matt, I am not going to be generous. Uh, you mentioned Rio. Rio is the, our fourth incarn- incarnation of Natalie Dormer. Uh, a clearly, you know, they had to call it out of the episode. They're like, uh, what's up with you? You are not uh, Latin. And she's like, I am Latin. I'm old school Seville Latin, which still doesn't sell it for me. So I'm going to give this four out of ten what I like to call double R's. Double R's? Yeah, ridiculous Rios. She, oh. <laughs> The introduction of her and that character is so ridiculous. And Matt, I'm hoping and I'm thinking that something might happen here. And that is... My ratings are going to go down and down and down until they go up again. That's right. I'm hoping this series gets so bad that it turns around to become good again because it is so bad. And Rio is puts us right on our way for that. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's just incredibly weird how, and just generally speaking, how disappointed I really feel in this show right now. I was not expecting to feel like this. Uh, because I'm not creepy guy, as you know, catfish, as we've talked about before. But I, I need something to show me that there's more than just a bunch of idiots walking around. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is, uh, it's hard to believe f- for me that we had a show uh, about, you know, his first show was a mm-hmm. show, a completely insane show in in the best way possible. It had all these stereotypical monsters, but not only was there insanity, but I felt for all of them. Mm. I felt for these monsters. So there was a there was two levels of things going on: just batshit craziness, again in the best way possible, but also I cared for all the characters. Neither of those things is happening here for me and if our listeners who've been providing a lot of feedback know that already in the second episode i started to see uh warning signs that i was not happy and this episode it feels like things are going down and then again like the roller coaster on the santa monica pier my only hope is that <laughs> it goes so low that the only place you can go is skyrocket up again well speaking of that mountain of feedback uh that yes. we get be sure to tweet to at DreadfulPod on Twitter. Be sure to send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com. And it, this particular podcast may seem like a hate watch to you listeners. Uh, you can also check out the Double P 
Podcast Network at Double PHQ on Twitter and Instagram or Facebook.com slash Double PHQ and find their Got Milk podcast, The Strain, which was somewhat of a hate podcast, was it not? Uh, that was that was exactly what I was thinking of for a show that got so bad that it became good. It became just fun to make fun of. Now, look, we we did not start this podcast to say, hey, you know what? Let's come on, let's watch a show, and then let's make careful notes, and then let's spend time doing a podcast because we don't think we're going to like this show. That was not our intention. Also, uh, you know, people could say as well, okay, well, you're hoping that it would be the last show. I'm not hoping that it would be the last show, but the last show was sort of a template for the kind of wild ride that i thought we were going to be on and this so far is not a wild ride so so hang with us here if you love the show it's, hey listen if you love this show and you love where it's going please tell us why you love it we are not going to make fun of you anybody who is grooving on this show please let us know why you're grooving on it what you love about it we are desperate now for someone to love this show and tell us why exactly and right now, our listeners seem to have nothing to say about that. I'm looking at a mountain of blank space in our feedback. Again, please tweet to at DreadfulPod on Twitter. That's Dreadful and the word pod all together on Twitter. You can also send emails to DreadfulPodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We're gaining listeners. Hopefully, that means that the show is gaining viewers. We need to hear more viewpoints and hopefully different viewpoints from ours so that we can share them with our listeners who are just sitting there staring at their phones as they listen to us saying, hey, what's wrong with you guys? I like this show. Yeah, tell us what's wrong with us. I'm happy to hear what's wrong with us. And don't forget that if you're listening on whatever podcast app you're listening to, if it allows you to leave written reviews, please leave a written review. We need those so badly in order to stay more noticeable to remain the sixth best podcast out of three active podcasts that are out there. <laughs> All right. We're number six out of three. I love it. <laughs> All right, Catfish, you ready to get into this story? I'm ready. Let's do let's 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 break down all our excitement. Okay. Well, we're back to the Vega family drama once again, and Raul is suddenly at home and recovering, and Mateo's talking to him about uh, Fly uh, Fred Astaire, Rico, and the fact that Tiago shot Raul. But then Raul is actually defending Tiago, saying that he's in a special kind of hell on his own, not knowing who he really is. After Mateo leaves, Tiago comes in and the two share kind of a brotherly moment. And later that evening, Mateo goes to the Crimson Cat to meet with Fly Rico. A musical dance number breaks out. And then Fly Rico introduces Mateo to Rio, who we've already talked about a little bit, who turns out to be our third identity of Magda. And she checks Mateo's dancing skills before the police come in and bust up the joint. Rio does some busting of her own and punches Riley in the face inciting yet another riot and leads Mateo and Fly Rico to safety. Then Rio, Rico, and Mateo discuss fighting back against the gringos, and we get Rico's story of hard luck and a decision to find Mateo a good tailor and a tattoo artist. Yeah. So what do you think, Catfish? Well, uh, oof. we have some problems here. 
and and my question is this: so they go to some lengths to prevent her, present her with a backstory to give her a Latin backstory. Now, they could have sort of made her more Latin, but then that presents problems in today's society. Yeah. Uh, you know, so I understand why they didn't do that, um, but it still makes it all strange, and it still feels a little weird to me. And just, I mean... This is the closest to me, Matt, for the ridiculousness of what I'm looking for. I mean, the fact that she's that that this woman is like some sort of superfly queen. Uh, you know, I wish all the show was like that because why not give in to it? And that's and, and that's why I'm hoping that this insanity leads us to more insanity. There's not enough insanity on this show. There's one thing about that whole set of characters um, that actually I, I think was an attempt by the writer to address uh, some of the things that are happening in the show. And I know that musical supervision is put in after after the sh after it's shot and what have you. But there has hardly been any true Hispanic music in the show so far. It's mostly been Afro-Cuban. And I think that this storyline helped explain why the musical supervisor was was adding so much of that in. Uh, but that whole conversation about Puchano versus uh, Hispanic versus whatever versus Dago, it, it all felt like a, a reason to uh, justify that all of the, the Latin based races are, are, are coming together, which I'm not sure if it's historically accurate. I I like the idea that it that it would be because um, that would mean that they were doing a heck of a lot better as a community than we were at that time. Um, but I, it just all felt a little weird. And as for Raul, uh, I just the only thing that I can try to come up with about him to keep me of interest to him. I did like his good heartedness in this episode, but it's such a complete switch from what we saw of him in the first episode. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. That, that is the issue. You know, he was given uh, his brother a hard time in the first episode. And now all of a sudden, I mean, he has the patience and understanding of Jesus Christ himself. <laughs> it would seem that way, or maybe of Santa Morte. Um, because if you remember in the first episode, she was actively pushing to, to save some, uh, Tiago quite a bit and maybe it's because mama's been praying to uh, her for a long long time and, and you know she was trying to save him uh, but since Raul seems so uh, pro Tiago now I was wondering if maybe Santa Morte did have something to do with Tiago and when she revived him she gave him just a touch of uh, different memory of the guy That'd be really cool. Another thing that would be cool is if the people who had been whispered to still had a sense that there was that there was sort of some breadcrumbs for them to follow as far as why they did what they did. But that's not what's happening here. Raul has completely no memory of the of the event and why he went uh, cop killer crazy. Yeah, exactly. Now. Uh, the other thing that I don't understand about all of this is why is Magda even bothering with this group of people? I mean, I guess if she's going to incite it 
from one side, she's going to incite it from the other side. But she really was all she had to do was whisper into people's ears. Why is she assuming this character? What it, what is she planning uh, for this group of people to to cause such a big to do that it that it could be uh, world ending? Well, <laughs> it's funny that you asked that because that's the question I asked last week about the German Magda. Well, why is she bothering with this one? quiet guy what revolution is he going to start so i guess i wouldn't mind that at this point not knowing what her ultimate plans are um if there was enough other craziness going on in the show in other words like that's completely fine to for for that kind of thing to be be illuminated later on but because there's not enough craziness to focus on we're focused on this it does seem that for her big plan of waging war against people that the only Magda that is really uh, effective is Mousy Magda, who is inciting Townsend with the Germans mm. because they're the only group who really has power. She's inciting people. She's inciting people who have great numbers, but as far as their power to do much, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, that would lead nicely into our Townsend for Mayor story. I'm a professional, Matt. That's how I work. Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. That's how I did not recognize it. So Townsend and Alex are visited by a councilwoman, Beck, uh, while uh, they are talking about eschewing the breadbasket. And she tells him how she's been knocking down piss pot fascists like him since he was at his mama's titty. By the way, that is, if we were doing lines of the episode, that towers above all. That was amazing. I'm telling you, Catfish, it seems to me that Councilwoman Beck is the uh, Mama Neeson of this particular, <laughs> episode, of this sure particular show. She sure is. <laughs> and folks, if you don't know what we're talking about, watch Babylon Berlin and go and watch or listen to Double PHQ's podcasts on Babylon Berlin called Babylon Berlin Babel. You can find it on the Double P Podcast Network iTunes page. Um, at any rate, Councilwoman Beck tells him that the highway rename will ne will happen over her dead body, which gives Townsend a plan. <laughs> and, it sure does. It sure does. <laughs> at dinner, Alex enforces eschewing the bread basket while Townsend meets with Goss, and they discuss the motorway uh, Townsend's Herculean audacity and appetite and killing Councilwoman Beck. And he gets a verbal smackdown from Goss from that, which I enjoyed as well. Um, Alex assumes her OG Magda after the meeting is over because she's kind of mad. Uh, she throws a little hissy fit and does some vandalism to blow off steam, blowing out windows. Uh, and then Townsend, well, I could make another blowing out joke here, but I won't. Instead, we'll save that for the end. Uh, catfish, what did you think? Well, for, first of all, <laughs> first of all, I, these Germans, uh, all they want to do is, all they care about is, is tanks. Uh, right. Yeah. First they were talking about marching the tanks down Wilshire. Now they're going to march them down sunset. I mean, my God, can, is there any road that will not have tanks being marched down? It? Uh, I like how, um, the mousy Magda here is uh, working on a couple different things. One, she's working on fomenting a huge fight between people. And the other one is she's trying to uh, double T. Double T? 
Yeah, trim Townsend. <laughs> Can I put him, put Townsend on a diet? Um, the other thing that's weird that happens is, I, I mean, I kind of knew it. The uh, German alluded to it. Mousy Magda tried to say, let's let's go out drinking to stop him from doing what we knew that he was going to do uh, was go off. And, uh, you know, he likes to get a little uh, man-on-man action. Mm-hmm. Although I was saying to Ms. Catfish, I'm like, you know, if, if I was going to pay somebody to get some action with them, I think I would be the receiving yeah, uh, instead of giving. But you know what? Well, whatever. You know, people people like what they like. To each their own. That's yeah. what I say. To each their own. Exactly. But but it's but it's it is funny here that uh, that we do get a little bit of double T. Double T. Yeah. Tough Townsend. Ooh. It, it is his bluster is it is interesting in that in this you're sort of rooting for the Germans to take him down. <laughs> <laughs> I totally am rooting for the Germans to take him down. Yeah, 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 I mean, it's, 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 it's like I, I, I don't even know what Alec again. I don't know what Magda's plan here is. She's got an idiot who can't keep his mouth shut in many ways. And yeah. and she's like. Why would Goss even continue with this? Why wouldn't he just kill the dude now? Well, the other thing is, and this is, again, we keep talking about why has she picked these people and what is she, what are her plans for these people, how she's going to use them as chess pieces for her plan? And, uh, you know, even though she, it seems to me that all in the, in the political class of Los Angeles, that if she really wanted someone who was effective – I think she could find somebody a little bit better than Townsend. So it's it's a little strange. She uh, for her evil plans, for all her evil planning, it seems to me that she needs someone who's a little bit better than strategery or her than than she is as far as picking her pawns. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, right now, it just seems like a bad dream. <laughs> 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 uh you ready to move on to the next storyline let's move it move on let's move it on all right we'll call this one molly mechanics peer pressure and detective data does yoda speak too molly has an argument with mama adelaide about her popularity in public and she leaves to be away from the church for a minute adelaide sends rudolph to look after her anyway Meanwhile, Vanderhoff sees Tiago actually working at the office when he's supposed to be having days off and tells Tiago to take a break because he learned that from working the Florence Moore case and says, I can't do a Yoda voice. Little 12-year-old girl she was. There it is. Molly is stalking Tiago when she leaves and they talk about Raul's recovery and trying to forget who they are at work. And Tiago invites Molly to the pier and they discuss his past over a Popeye doll with Adelaide's henchman, Rudolph, watching over them with some cotton candy. They have a Romeo and Juliet parting is such sweet sorrow moment before Molly has to leave Popeye behind. When Molly gets home, Adelaide is waiting and she sings probably the creepiest moment in the whole episode for me. She sings the creepiest version of Popeye the Sailor Man that I've ever heard. Catfish, what do you think? I couldn't hear that part very well. I don't know what the heck she was saying. Uh, so I'm glad you told me, and I wish I'd been able to understand it at that point. That is super weird. Now, I will say a few things about this. First of all, I, uh, I'm i a little confused why Triple D. Triple D? 
Yeah, Detective Director Data uh, changed his mind. Last week, he was like, solve this case and solve it now. I need this out of my hair. And then and then in this episode, he's like, uh, you need to take a break. Just relax. <laughs> now, I, as far as the Molly reveal, I'm not sure that, that she was uh, in a kind of a love, had a love nest uh, with with the with the main Hazlitt guy who got killed, I'm not sure whether I believe that or not. I mean, I, I would be happy to because then I would tell I could tell you that I was right last week when I said that Molly was 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 more evil than Adelaide. Uh, but Adelaide still seemed rather creepy in this one. Now I will say this: poor Tiago, right? He says this is the second best day I've ever had in my life. And what does Molly do? Molly has a chance to say, well, let's go under the dock and I'll make it your best day. But <laughs> so a little bit mean, you know, he's, he's right there for, he's, he's planting the seed in her mind. Like you can see, you can do this. You can make it my best day. And she just leaves. How mean. So do you think this is what we're presented with now? That Molly is, despite the fact that, obviously, this dude is following her everywhere. I, I mean, her, like, creepy driver doesn't seem like she can get away that much. So I don't quite believe that it was her in the love nest with Hazlitt. What are your feelings about that? Oh, I don't know. See, it was very interesting because now I look back at episode two and she called uh, she called Hazlitt a fine, tall man. And then she kind of explains it away uh, and uh, says that she didn't really have any feelings for him. Uh, but that's what you would say to the police, right? If they were investigating his murder. So I don't know what's going on here as far as the affair, as far as the who the killer was. I suspect it's more Adelaide involved or Rudolph involved than it is actually Molly involved, uh, especially by the look that she had at the end of this episode is yeah. uh, Adelaide was, I don't know if she was screaming through the door or whatever. That was all covered up with music, so you couldn't really do that part. Uh, I can find Molly as having had an affair with Hazlitt. She is obviously... Uh, very sheltered and uh, doesn't kind of have her own life. So I could see that the way her life seems in this episode, it seems like it would be very hard for her to get away at any time by herself. Um, but I can believe the affair. And then I could also believe that Adelaide killed them because of the affair and didn't want uh, that exposed. It seems like a rather mundane reason, but I can believe it. Because there's a little bit too much that's mundane on this show. Mm. Yeah, agreed. You know, I, I, I mean, I really liked this character in this episode. It's just that uh, I, I, and I suppose that the whole reason for the reveal happening at the end of this is because it's like, oh no, we just got involved in the two of them kind of liking each other, and now that's not going to happen. Uh, but it just, uh, it, it, she does feel more, more like a victim like you said, and I had to throw in the Yoda speak thing because I don't know anyone else in the world who talks like that, reversing nouns and, and verbs. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it just seems a little weird in, in English. 
Uh, maybe people did talk like that back in the 30s. Maybe Yoda is nothing more than a construct from the 30s. <laughs> uh, but I, well, can't, I, yeah. I can't help but wonder if maybe they were all looking at, at what their release schedule was going to be and threw that line in as a tribute to May the 4th. And then, you know, it turned out to be the week after Star Wars Day rather than before. It just seemed weird to me that uh, Data... Of all people, the Star Trek guy. You know how Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans go at each other all the time. Why was that a dig at Gene Roddenberry? <laughs> well, I will say this too. I think it's an important thing to remember about this storyline and and why I'm not a fan of it getting all this time is that this is the only storyline in this show that Magda is not involved with at all. Mm. At least so far, right? She's involved with the we's involved with the Germans, so that means she, that that puts her in in Townsend's orbit. That puts him in the you know uh, uh, Nathan Lane's uh, buddies orbit. Mm-hmm. You know that that puts her in uh, the fight between the uh, police uh, and the Mexicans orbit. She's in the German doctor storyline. She's not involved at least so far at all with this storyline. So the question is, why are we spending so much time with it? And and by the time it gets paid off, is it going to be worth all the time we spent on it? Mm, good point, good point. It's got to be because this is actually all about that single storyline that Magda's not involved in. Uh, <laughs> that's the only way you can explain specifically avoiding it in, in one particular way. Now, I will say this about this show, and it's it's particularly well done here in this storyline at the Santa Monica Pier. The production values on this show are top-notch. And to see the Santa Monica Pier like that, I would love a behind-the-scenes of how they were able to do that. I mean, obviously, they used some CGI, but there was a lot that was not CGI. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, when they go to the university, which I assume is uh, USC, simply because of how old and cool it looks, it could be something... In Pasadena, but uh, just it's done beautifully, like Babylon Berlin, to create a full world from the 40s is pretty impressive. I agree. I agree totally. Um, But, you know, Molly didn't take Tiago down below the dock. Peter Kraft tried to take Elsa below the (laughs) dock (laughs) for certain. Uh, So Peter is getting crafty. Uh, when Elsa and Frank don't come for their appointment with Dr. Kraft, he cancels all of his appointments for the day, leaving some poor woman out in the office who I made know, the can time. He, can't he just see her first? She's been waiting. <laughs> for crying out loud. She was early. Doctors don't like it when you come early, evidently. Uh, but with, uh, quote, Frank outside uh, crying, Peter discovers that Elsa has been beaten. And she blames her, quote, husband for not understanding that, quote, Frank is getting picked on by the Jews at school. Because, of course, it's always about the Jews with the Germans. And he invites her and, quote, Frank, to his son Tom's birthday party. He tries to kiss her, but she says not in her husband's house. What was the point of this? What does she need to get to that birthday party for, Catfish? Here's my question about her, and I, and I, and I thought about this through, throughout the episode, especially when she was uh, ridiculous, Rio is that, you know, she's able to separate, split herself into different parts. She's got her son sitting outside, and although she's not able to replicate what a normal child would be like, she's still able to replicate something. 
But my question is, can she split herself up into different personalities mm. that all exhibit her intelligence? In other words, if she had, she, she tried to grab Townsend, she tried to say, let's go get some drinks so that he wouldn't go off and, and get some man-on-man action. Right. If she'd gone to those drinks, would she also be able to be at the club? Like, in other words, can she be in multiple places at the same time? Because if not, I, she has a busy, busy schedule. Well, I'll tell you, she certainly does. You know what? I, I think to answer that question, all you got to do is look at the first episode. If you see that she, uh, as Elsa, she's with Dr. Kraft, and right after that, she's with Alex, and it seems to me like Mr. Townsend... Councilman Townsend thinks that Alex has been with him all day. So I would say yes to that. But my bigger question is, why do you need to become double D? Double D? Dominatrix Dormer in order to walk down the street. Why not just go down as Alex or as Rio or whatever? <laughs> just to be badass. Just to be badass. <laughs> just Is that the power? She has to change into the outfit in order to be able to break windows. We'll put that on the poll as well. Is breaking windows and eschewing bread baskets a supernatural power. Oh, that is a that is a great. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot to get him not to eat bread. That's her, that's her most difficult task so far. Feels like she may need to do some whispering. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Uh, we can definitely conclude that Peter Craft is getting versed because he is. Uh, he's now you know physically kissing an abused goddess. Well, not really abused, but. Uh, he's not really kissing his wife, uh, even though he was doing the duty last week. Uh, now, uh, it's what, uh, maybe somebody like, uh, Molly or Adelaide would be, would call the beginnings of adultery. And so I don't know what to think about Peter right now. I, I guess they're trying to establish that she's just going to lead him further and further down a path to where he's just awful. I'm looking forward to that transformation because I love Laurie Kinnear, uh, as an actor. I can't wait to see what kind of a bastard he becomes by the end of the series uh but right now uh it's just awkward and silly yeah uh, y- yes yes <laughs> <laughs> uh let's move on to investigation discovery 30 style that's uh Mishner, or as catfish likes to call him just nathan lane finds out that his friends are dead they've been charred and they were shot. they are they are now double b's double b's yeah, burnt buddies. Burnt buddies. Oh, <laughs> and uh, asked he, uh, he asked the medical examiner to hold off on reporting until he investigates himself. Uh, then he does a, a little bit of a Hebrew morning ritual outside, and that's and that is when he becomes double P. Double P. Yeah, pathetic Pumbaa. Oh, definitely pathetic Pumbaa. Uh, Nathan tracks down the Cal student and takes him out of town to intimidate him into talking. And then he becomes double P again. Double P? Yeah, punching Pumbaa. <laughs> Later he meets with Tiago to talk about burying his friend and Anton and tells Tiago that he believes Molly and Hazlitt were having an affair because, well, you know... It's the title. It's a wicked old world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we get to the episode conclusion, uh, which is a musical montage to "Let's Face the Music and Dance," I guess sung by uh, Carrie Bechet. And while Tiago is investigating Molly's books, Mishner investigates the Nazis some more. Adelaide yells through the door at Molly or prays for her soul. It was hard to tell which. 
And Townsend performs a little oral sex on a young man. So he's doing the Bill Clinton. I did not have sex with that man. Um, and uh, Mateo gets a, a Pachuco tattoo. Uh, it concludes with Tiago coming to the realization that Mishner was right about Molly. Uh, whether he's actually right about Molly or not, it doesn't seem. But Tiago believes so. So that's the thing. Why did they do this? catfish why beat up the caltech kid is is this so uh, i mean i understand from a character standpoint you're mad at the whole organization for your friends dying and everything but it just seems like it was a way to make uh missioner seem tough because standing up to riley just isn't enough in the first episode yeah i i mean it's uh i, I can understand it and i would believe it if it wasn't uh punching pumba yeah, but basically he's made it his job along with his uh, along with his German squad there of tracking down and figure out what's going down with the Germans. He's just lost now fifty uh, percent of his German squad, and this is his only lead that uh, is sort of tangential. Now, and what's interesting is that, of course, they uh, they uh, uh, there was no uh, reveal of what he uh, found out except for he asked him about, um, oh, what's his name? Do you know, was it Werner Braun, I think? And then he's like, tell me more. So I think this is going to go the way of, you know, they're trying to get uh, the bomb. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think exactly right. Um, the thing that bothers me is that... Uh, Mishner is so compartmentalized. I mean, he doesn't even act like he had that kind of a day when he's talking to Tiago at the end. Oh, by the way, I looked at the books. Well, he was looking at the books before he picked up the Caltech kid. So I, it's just, I, I don't understand that Mishner could be that compartmentalized. I know he's trying to keep this investigation of his off the books, so to speak. Uh, but you'd think he'd seem a little more frazzled. He seems like he's just relaxing with a good old drink by the time Tiago's there. I agree. I completely agree. Okay. Anything else on any of the episode, Catfish, before we move on? No, that was it. That was the, that was the entirety of uh, my thoughts on this episode. <laughs> there aren't many to have, but I do have some musical analysis thoughts. Before we get into it, I didn't include this in my segment. Uh, the tune that was playing while Mishner was talking to Tiago about Molly at the bar was Wrap Your Troubles in Dreams by Bing Crosby. It came out in 1931. Um, so it made, it would make sense that it would be on a jukebox if there was a jukebox in a, in a bar like that at that time. Um, the Less Fates, the Music and Dance, I'm assuming it's Carrie Bechet, the, the actress who plays Molly singing in it, since we did hear her sing it on the piano uh, or just with the piano player in the scene with Adelaide at the beginning where she said she was going to a costumer. Um, that's an Irving Berlin song from 1936. The Latino music, I could not find or recognize. So if you folks have any thoughts about the episode or can steer me in the right direction of what music was put in there uh, by Deva Anderson uh, for the, the club, I would love to hear it. Uh, what it is please let me know uh, you can tweet to at dreadful pod on twitter or you can send emails to dreadful podcast at gmail.com anyway let's take a look at some variations on the main theme for tiago uh, when he has interactions with other people do you ever wish you were someone else Thank you. 
And that clip begins our analysis of Mr. John Pisano's music this week. It's a theme that we've actually heard in all three episodes, and it's one of the first ones that I talked about, actually, in episode 1A of this podcast, if you want to go back and get a breakdown of what it actually means. But I've noticed in the last two episodes that there's been a slight variation in the shape of the melody, meaning how high or how low it goes. And variations do mean that they are essentially the same motive for the same theme. They're just changed ever so slightly to create, well, variation. So what's the difference here? Well, in that clip, we definitely heard the melody being presented on the piano and then with the piano and the string, but the shape is slightly different. In the very first episode of Penny Dreadful City of Angels, we first heard this theme when Santiago had come home from his mother's place and was undressing and getting ready for bed. And that melody sounded like this. Now, the rhythm in this clip that I just played for you is exactly the same, but the shape is different. It starts on a different note, and it actually has to repeat a couple of notes in the middle rather than just being all by what we call steps, meaning that it's following the scale steps of the key. Here, we actually heard this. It's only slightly different. The melody actually starts about a step lower, and again, we have that kind of double note in there as well. Why would John Pisano do this? Well, there's a difference between when he is using Santiago and portraying Santiago on his own. And the only time that we've really heard the variation that I just played for you on the piano is when he is in conversation with Molly. In both instances, both in the last episode, episode two, and in this episode, when he's in a very interactive conversation, as that first clip was that I just played you, where she's kind of taking the lead of the conversation, but it's still about Santiago and his interactions with her, that's when he varies the melody. For instance, she asks him later on in this episode, when they're at the pier, about his family, what happened to his two siblings that died of cholera. And when he talks about that, it's his experience, his family, and we get the original version. We get this. So let's listen to that clip right now at the pier where we hear the melody in its original state. That was the best day of my life. And of course, the original state 
is what we very first heard when he was on his own at his apartment. This. And here's that clip from episode one. Now, before I get to the other variation, like the one we heard at the very beginning of this segment, I do want to note that we did hear some other themes as well. We heard the kind of the Tiago family theme when Raul and Tiago or Raul and Mateo were talking. We heard this. And of course, when Magda changed out of her Alex costume and was kind of miffed at Townsend and was throwing a tantrum and breaking windows, we of course heard the Magda motive. We heard this. Now, we've talked about those enough in previous podcasts, so there's no reason to break them down or to play the clip for you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Just listen for those little snippets while you're watching those particular scenes. Back to this theme that gets varied a little bit between Tiago by himself and Tiago with Molly. Again, it feels like the variation comes from the motivation that Tiago is not relaying an experience that is all his own or getting an experience that is all his own. Instead, it's something where someone else has to be very interactive with him about And that was actually the case in episode two as well, when Molly and Santiago was having a conversation about his faith. And Molly was taking the lead of that conversation just as she was in our very first clip that we played at the beginning of this segment. So I'm going to leave you with that. Instead of hearing the main Tiago version that we first heard in the very first episode this we will instead get that slight variation that we started with we'll get this and again it's happening when Molly is pushing Tiago for something And it's something that requires them to have an interactive experience rather than just one or the two of them relaying a story that is unique to their experience that they're just kind of sharing. So that will conclude the musical analysis for this week. And we'll be back with more thoughts in just a second. I wanted him to die. My brother's dying. (laughs) 
Let's get into three words. That's the game that I've been playing since 2009, and I'm trying to get you people to play it with me at DreadfulPod on Twitter, and uh, you can send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com. I have a three-word set. Actually, I have two, but Catfish, what is your three words for this episode? Uh, well, I kind of took after yours, so you're only going to have one now. Mine is inspired by Prince. Let's go crazy. Let's get nuts. I love it. Let's do this. You know what? We had the introduction of Rio. <laughs> Again, it's weird for many reasons. And the only reason it sticks out is because it's weirder than the rest of the show that we have for doing this role. And so my contention is not that this is out of place, but that the other things aren't as crazy as they should be. So I'm just hoping... More craziness. What about you, Matt? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, Not enough crazy was one of my sets of three words, which means that you saying first means that catfish was right. That was my other three words. Uh, And that's something we should be saying more often. That should be my three words for the podcast. Catfish was right. Because there's not a single thing about this particular episode that I disagreed with you on. This one, uh, last week we had at least a little bit of you were pushing against and i was pulling for but you're dragging me down in the into the bottom of the pool with you this time i apologize matt i apologize for sucking the joy out of you (laughs) we also like to give away awards and one of those awards is the townsend award and it's where you try Mm -hmm. to cite a real life politician not doing well in our world you or me first catfish your choice you know what let me go first because mine is not a fun one Mm. I mean, these are rarely fun, but mine, I'm going to give it to the uh, Georgia Police Department. As we all know, just recently, a young black man was basically stalked and shot in Georgia, named Ahmaud Arbery. Mm. Uh, And uh, despite the fact that he was stalked and then shot when he was doing nothing, uh, the Georgia Police Department for the longest time was like, yeah, there is nothing wrong with stalking and shooting a young black man. <laughs> and so for that, I'm going to give them for not increasing the peace and for being horrible human beings. I'm going to give it to the Georgia Police Department. Mm, How about you? How about you, Matt? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, mine's going out to Representative Jeff Van Drew, who was the uh, defector. He went to Republican from the Democratic Party. Uh, and recently this week, he said it is, quote, unbelievable that there is not a united political front in terms of holding China accountable for their role in the coronavirus outbreak. Folks, if you read the Wall Street Journal, you'll see that there was actually a report that said that now the U.S. is actually looking into investigating deaths possibly from COVID-19 as far back as November. Now, how is that China's fault? Uh, that's my political deal for the week. That's the Townsend Award. I give it to Representative Jeff Van Drew for saying we should all fight against the Chinese together. It's it's a real shocking uh, turn of events. The, the things are so bad in the world that we are not giving this to William Barr for letting Flynn off the hook for the horrible, horrible stuff he did. That's how bad the world is. William Barr only gets runner-up good attempt for letting someone who was basically working against the interests of the United States and was in the government, letting him off the hook. (laughs) But folks, we want to know what you think. Send 
your tweets about your Townsend Award to DreadfulPod on Twitter, or you can send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com. It's Catfish's favorite segment coming up, My Favorite Magda. Who's this award going out to this week, Catfish? Well, I've said it a few times. It's double R. Double R? Yeah, Ridiculous Rio. This is the kind of insanity we need, and <laughs> it should not stick out. It, it, it should, it, it, this is the, I feel like this is the kind of show where it shouldn't stick out. It should be just be, here's another set of craziness instead of, this is the biggest craziness. Mm. What's the second most craziness in this episode? As you said, when, when, when Leather Magda walks by windows and they blow out. That is not exactly wild and craziness. <laughs> what about you, Matt? Who's your favorite Magda this week? Well, I actually had to just kind of default to Double D. Double D? Dominatrix Dormer. Uh, simply because I, I, I sat there and I was like, wow, Rio's got some moves. But why? And <laughs> Alex uh, was pretty much ineffective as far as Townsend goes. Here she's giving him all this advice. And he goes and does the exact opposite thing anyway. And Elsa is now just trying to get to a birthday party. I, I don't get it. So it's like, okay, well, uh, at least Magda looked good when she was blowing out windows for no reason whatsoever. So All mine right. goes to Dominatrix Dormer this week. Well, that is a sad state of affairs that you have to give it to Double D. But now, Matt, we have to talk about the Magda cum laude. Who gets the top of the class honors among Magda's little helpers this week. Who did the most to forward her evil plans? Oh boy. Uh, I'm going to actually give mine to Mishner to Nathan Lane, as Catfish just calls him. Uh, he's beating up innocence. As far as we can tell, he's innocent. He's just being coerced by the Germans. Uh, he's disregarding police regulations. Mm. He's dropping uh, the affair bomb on poor Tiago regarding Molly, who, who, Tiago just fell in love with her, so it seems to me that uh, Mishner is creating a heck of a lot of dissension everywhere, all on his own. Wow. Wow. That's a good one. That is a good one, uh -oh. but not the best one. Oh. My Magna Cum Laude of the Week goes to the basket of bread. Gah! <laughs> bread is evil. Bread <laughs> is evil. The the basket because he was denied the basket of bread that led him to make a bunch of bad decisions, calling out the Nazis, going to uh, have his little side affair with the young men, which is fine in and of itself, but during this time period frowned upon, and so if he gets caught, it's going to be trouble. It's all because he didn't get his damn carbs at dinner. So basket of bread, that's my answer. Yeah. Well, as far as uh, applicability goes, as I like to talk about in this show and how it can apply to modern day circumstances, uh, I just can't wait to see that press conference with Townsend where he's shaking his finger going, I did not have sex with that man. So mm -hmm. uh, with that, we're going to leave you this week. Catfish, if people want to talk to you about how exciting this episode was this week, how can they reach you? They can hit me up at CJGman67. And believe me, I'm used to being berated. If you berate me, <laughs> we will put it on this podcast. Please come at me, bro. <laughs> Don't forget to check out all of the podcasts from the Double P Podcast Network. And you can follow them at Double P HQ on Twitter and Instagram or Facebook.com slash Double P HQ. And until next time, we'll see you on 
delightfully dreadful. <laughs> Send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com or tweet to at dreadfulpod. <laughs> Part of Double P Media, doublepmedia.com.